This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. Hey, Ben, we are, we are now at the midpoint. This is halfway through our 52-week study. We're at week 26. <laughs> so from here, it's downhill. Wow. Da- downhill, like on a sled. You could do sledding in Louisiana when you were a kid. Like- hey, you know what? Actually, I'll, I'll tell you what we did. Um, you would go out to the the levees. I mean, we had a bunch of levees that were constructed uh, throughout New Orleans uh, as a means to prevent flooding um, during tidal surges and stuff. And you would get on a cardboard box, you know, and sled down the levee. That's a southern boy's view of snow sledding, isn't it? Yeah. 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 That's fair. But then I got here and, you know, got to go snow tubing and was exposed to all the greatness of the, uh, of winter fun. Yeah. I, I could, uh, live without winter fun. I think that my two favorite seasons, by the way, are summer and Florida. Do you know what my two favorite seasons are? <laughs> what are they? Summer and football. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an SEC boy right there. Okay. Well, let's, we'll, we'll dive into this today. You know, Jesus is, is again, coming toward the end of his life. And he, he needs to expand his leadership base, more leaders. He has his 12, the dirty dozen, man, I don't know who they are. He has his 12. They're just like an average, normal group of people that he's been training for two or three years to get ready to take over and, and lead the church. But he knows it's going to take more than that. So let's, let's go into this story. We're in Luke chapter 9 today. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He's headed there. He knows what's coming. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now, Jesus had done some ministry in Samaria already, uh, more than once. Samaria was this land in between the two Jewish territories. Up north was Galilee and down south was Judea, and, and in between was Samaria, where th- things were often tense, but he'd, been, he'd done some ministry there. I don't know if he went back to the same place or a different part of Samaria, but it didn't work out so well for him because in verse 53 it says, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. I wonder if that goes back to... John 4, with the story of the woman at the well, and, and, and she has this encounter with Jesus, and like, we worship God right here in this mountain, and you Jews worship God in Jerusalem, and, and this debate between all of that. Uh, you got any thoughts about like why they were upset at him for heading toward Jerusalem and therefore wouldn't even welcome Jesus into their midst? Yeah, maybe because he was just in some ways, in essence, passing through. Maybe that was part of it. Well, they didn't, the disciples didn't like it. His disciples didn't like it. When the disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That seems like an extreme response to like, hey, you know, don't stay in our town. We don't want you guys here. Like, You've given us this authority. You've given us power, Jesus. You, 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 I, you already told us. You want us just to do it? 
just to <laughs> beckon lightning bolts right now out of heaven and incinerate these people. Uh, that's that's big, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like most of the prayers that I utter when I'm driving around uh, 465. Um, <laughs> no, I, I kid, I kid people. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems a bit uh, over the top, a bit self-righteous. Um, you know, I, I think probably there's a, a sense of uh, ethnic uh, righteousness that exists here as well because Jews and did not like Samaritans, uh, did not get along uh, with Samaritans, as we've already discussed in previous podcasts. And so in some ways, that the, the, you know, the boys might be looking for an excuse uh, to apparently rain down fire uh, upon the people of uh, Samaria. But yeah, it seems like an extreme response, but that's so often uh, what you get. I mean, even today, you know, in, in the midst of political tribalism and opposition or, or whatever it might be, um, people have a bent toward taking extreme measures uh, as a means to do away with opposition. They might have learned it from the best, the Sons of Thunder, because they, yeah. they wanted to wipe these people out to charcoal them right on the spot. Charcoal. You know, and it, maybe this beckons back to Second Kings right. chapter 1, because way back in the Old Testament, Second Kings chapter 1 is a story about Elijah doing something kind of similar, that the king at that time, the king of Israel at that time, Ahaziah, had an injury and wanted to know if he was going to live. And so he sent out to the false god Baal, go find out from the god Baal if I'm going to live. And Elijah didn't like that. Elijah said over in Second Kings chapter 1, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says to the king. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So this king Isaiah sent 50 guys to go get Elijah and bring him back. And Elijah said this, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. It's one of those Old Testament stories like, ooh. In fact, he did it again when another 50 guys came to him. So, I, you know, I don't know. Probably, uh, I'm, probably these guys were familiar with the story, I'm sure. And, and maybe this is, they thought they were really like living the righteous life mm-hmm. by wanting to be like this Old Testament prophet right. and do what he did all over again. Yet, Jesus would have none of it. Verse 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them. We don't have his words. Sometimes I want the words. Like, what did he say? And how did he do that? He just, he just told them, no, what is wrong with you? We're just going to keep on going. And they did. They went to another village. So it's kind of interesting story there as he's preparing them for ministry because part of that pre- preparation was for ministry in Samaria. Yeah. That we're going to learn. Like that's where they were called to go. Acts chapter one, verse eight, like go into Samaria. And that's where the gospel was to be taken early on. So he wanted them to know that it isn't always going to work out. You're not always going to get your way, but you don't have to go all aggressive and, and why? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, they, uh, their entire, you know, the, these, uh, 
uh, these first century apostles first, and the first century disciples, um, they ministry was always done in the presence of opposition. It's always going to be done in the presence of persecution. Um, and so, yeah, in a lot of ways, Jesus is preparing them uh, for this. Uh, and I mean, it was Jesus's call uh, upon their, their lives as well to love their enemies, to turn the other cheek. You know, and again, we see that constant disposition throughout, um, throughout the, the epistles as well, where as they go out and as they minister, they're called to uh, be respectful, to be gentle, um, you know, again, to, to be a revelation of God's uh, redemptive love um, to the people that they encounter as they call folks to repentance, as they call them into relationship with Christ, and they're going to their ministry is going to exist under the shadow of oppression, under the you know under the umbrella of death. They are going to suffer intense, intense uh, persecution, and in many ways, this is just a, a taste of what is on the horizon for them. So, ministry is not always easy street. It's not always a something that has the positive returns a hundred percent of the time. No, it 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 can be tough. Yeah, li- and, life in Christ. I mean, we're called to be aliens and strangers in this world. Um, there's a reason why we're supposed to uh, adopt God's kingdom ethic, the ethic of the world, while. Uh, in some ways, it might reflect God's kingdom ethic as, uh, you know, all of humanity has been created in the image of God, but recognizing that sin has shattered that image. And so there is a dim reflection and a broken reflection of God's goodness, of what God desires. And so as followers of Christ, as we are called to bear God's kingdom ethic, um, there, we're gonna always, there's always going to be tension that exists within this world. So Jesus knows that he has to prepare them for this kind of ministry in a, in a, in the midst of tension and he's got to prepare them. He had already sent out his 12 disciples for ministry and they were, they came back and they had done effective ministry. And now in Luke chapter 10, we see he sends out more people. He sends out 72 of them. You know, we, we've talked a lot about the fact that Jesus wasn't alone with the 12 all the time. There were crowds around him and people who followed him and other people who were his disciples. And we learn from, from Acts when there's a disciple chosen to replace Judas, that it had to be somebody who'd been with him the whole time. So there were, there were people beyond the 12 who were with him a lot, if not most, if not nearly all of the time. So Jesus expands his leadership base beyond the 12 to 72 people. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Maybe this includes in Samaria or in other parts of Judea, certainly that Jewish territory, but he's sending them out. And I wonder, like, if he sent them and like in little groups, but each one of the disciples was over six of them, you know. And 
I've just always wondered about that. Like he's trained them now, trained them to be leaders of leaders, mm-hmm. disciples of disciple makers, and he's sending out these seventy-two, or if he simply just sent them on their way, and and they went on their way. He told them the seventy-two, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's an interesting statement to me because he didn't say to the 72, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so you're it, go get it done. He told the 72, the first thing they have to do is to pray for more workers, pray for more leaders, pray for more evangelists, pray for more disciple makers. Jesus always seems to be having his mind on developing people who will develop other people who develop other people and prepare them for ministry and get them going. He then speaks to them and says, go, I'm verse three, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You just had said it's not easy street in ministry. Here you go. Lambs among wolves paints a picture. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Get there. Wherever I'm sending you, your job is to get there and to do ministry. And then in verses 5 through 12, he has some instructions for the, the doing and the living of that ministry and, and, and how that will go for them and, and how they'll respond in that ministry. What, what do you make of, of this sort of dialogue he has with them and the sending out and the commissioning and the return of these guys Uh, and maybe some gals as well, I don't know, back into ministry training with him again or debriefing with him as they went and did ministry and came back? A couple things. One, it's all focused on on Christ. I mean, ultimately, the the desire for, uh, you know, for for more workers uh, to send into the harvest field, it's a reminder to me in, in pastoral ministry that, uh, the, the work that Christ calls us to, the work of disciple making, isn't, isn't pastor centric. You know, we're called to nurture others um, into, uh, in, into become disciple makers. As we disciple others, they are called to go uh, and make uh, disciples. And so it's not uh, leader centric by any means, it's not pastor centric. I think oftentimes uh, one of the uh, areas of, of real weakness within the Western church is. Uh, because we have a bent toward uh, celebrity, um, and that plays out even in a local church where things become very uh, centered around uh, the preacher. And so while we have a role to play, um, we're all called to make disciples. Uh, That's a universal call given to every single uh, follower of Christ, and we can't get away from that. So we're we're praying for uh, God to raise up more workers to send into the harvest field. Yeah, don't you wonder if these 72 are around when Jesus sent the 12? Right. And they're like, go, guys, you're the leaders. We're, we're going to be back. We'll be praying for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now they get tapped. That's right. That's exactly right. A whole and, new level of fear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and one of the things I love, too, is Jesus doesn't send them out alone. They, they're sent out two by two. Uh, ministry itself, it, it's, a, it's a communal activity. Um, we're here to support one another, encourage one another. And so, uh, so we don't do this in isolation. We don't do this alone. It's not dependent on any singular uh, person, but we've, give it, we've been given this universal call 
And so we need to make sure that within the body of Christ, we're nurturing one another toward uh, that end. And then again, Jesus uh, hits on reality. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. As a follower of Christ, you're all, we're always going to experience some level of tension, some level potentially of hostility, because again, not, not to be the redundant man of redundancy on this, but, but reality is, is that God's kingdom ethic cuts against the ethic uh, of the world. We live in a world that pri- we are, uh, that prizes self-salvation. However, somebody might define that, it's up to the individual and we go declaring a gospel, our good news is that we cannot save ourselves. We are dependent upon the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so our, our, just in a base level, our message of salvation that we bring, that in itself cuts against this world's ethic, cuts against what the world understands to be good and right and whole, which is uh, self-salvation. That's what the world brings. Um, is, a, is a means towards self-salvation. And we're, we go out proclaiming we need Jesus because we're all sinners. So after this instruction to, to go out and minister to the sinners, they seem astounded that it worked. Down in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I, it seems like both parts of that are important us and your, that we don't, we don't do it alone. We do it under the name of Jesus, but Jesus just doesn't do it without us. He, he commissions us into ministry. And we, we see that at the end of his life, the great commission. We see it in the early part of the book of Acts. We see it taken up with the, with the 12 in the book of Acts as they begin to right away find new leadership. They find Paul and Paul finds Barnabas and they find Timothy and on and on and on. There's a, a communal part of that that you're speaking to, and they seem astounded that God wanted to use them. But I, I wondered if they had like watched the twelve, and they were the inner twelve, and, the, and beyond that, the inner inner three, and they had they had just sort of been participants, sitting in pew seven and watching what was happening on the stage, so to speak. And now that they went and did ministry, they couldn't believe it that God was using them to do amazing ministry. Jesus replies to them in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Interesting. They had just tried to call down fire from heaven. And I wonder if Jesus intentionally used this phrase to bring back like, I've seen the fire from heaven. I I saw Satan when he was an angel. Remember Jesus, the co-creator of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus has existed forever. And he watched when Satan rebelled against God and fell like lightning. Fell like lightning from heaven. And then he says to the 72, I have given you authority. This word authority is a big word. We've talked about it a little bit in the past. The authority that is is gained and in essence nearly earned from being with a rabbi, authority that is, is handed from one to the next like a mantle. And Jesus now takes that mantle from himself to a degree and, and hands it to them. Not, not the inner three, not the 12, but 72. 
and says, I'm giving you authority, authority to do ministry on earth. He specifically says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, probably figurative image, just like lamb among wolves, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He reminds them that in the end, it's not about your your track record, your ministry successes. It's, It's about your salvation in Christ, that you belong to him. And because you belong to Jesus Christ, therefore he calls you to this amazing ministry and you just, you just go for it and see what God wants to do in your life. I wonder, Ben, I, I sometimes think that one of the things that holds back the church from even have more effectiveness in, in the world, or in particular in the United States where, where we are, or Indiana where, where we're hanging out, I, I wonder if what holds us back is, is the unwillingness to risk, to go for it, to try to be sent out, to be one of the 72. Not one of the inner three, don't have to be that, but one of the the crowd that says, pick me, pick me, I I will go. And And I wonder if Jesus still wants to give us authority. The Great Commission doesn't seem to have an expiration date on it. Ministry doesn't seem to be only for the book of Acts and it ended. It seems that Jesus wants to give us authority. I mean, do you think that that makes sense? Are, 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 we, are we less effective in the world today than we could be because we're just content to play it safe and take it easy? Yeah, whatever, whatever has led us uh, to um, disciple-making avoidance or however we want to phrase it, the, the sad part, the grievous part, is that there are so many that so many self-proclaimed Christians that are missing out on the joy of God's commission. We're we're missing out on the joy that God gives us as we go and bring uh, His Word forward. Not that it's going to be easy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Again, Jesus says, "I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves," but we are the means by which God declares his redemptive work. And what greater joy do we have than bringing that message uh, to the world? And so when we remain silent, what ends up happening is, A, we miss out on, uh, on, on living into God's call. We miss out on seeing God's power at work in us as we get to bring uh, that message forward. And B, we miss out on seeing others come to know Christ. This is the greatest gift that we could ever offer another. Uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, well, on Mother's Day, you know, the greatest gift my mom ever gave me was that when she came to Christ, when she gave her life to Jesus, it became her passion to make him known, not just to my brother and I, but to all those around her. I mean, her heart radiated Christ. And so there was no denying uh, (laughs) who my mom loved and who was going to guide and direct the course of of her days. And that that should be the same 
uh, for all of us. That should not be, you know, some unique disposition of, of one singular Christ follower. It should be indicative of everyone who claims to, to hold Christ as Savior. Your mom was wanting to do that before she had all the answers, before she right. had it all figured out, before she uh, had the, the Bible memorized. And she, she just went for a minute. I mean, if you're in South Louisiana and don't have snow, grab a piece of cardboard and go to the levee, right? I mean, right. like, like right. take what you have and go for it in ministry and you'll figure it out along the way. You'll, God will reveal it to you along the way. Of course, we don't want to do things that are foolish, but I, I wonder if our, our fear of looking foolish or of not doing it right or, or whatever just keeps us from these incredible experiences that God might want to have for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and reality is, is that we bear witness to what we love. Hmm. You know, I know that you and Douglas here love the Cincinnati Reds. You know, people know that I love the Cubs. You, you had to say that this year, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> the Cubs and the Reds are both horrible. And so we can all sit in a pool of our own lament and tears as we watch the rest of the season uh, play out. Um but we, we do. I mean, everything, whether it's, a, whether it's our family, uh, whether it's our favorite you know, college football team or pro team or whatever it might be, whatever it is that we love and cherish in this world, we express that. We reveal that. We show that. You know, I guarantee you that any diehard Colts fan, if that person has to travel to New England, is going to pack some piece of clothing that has the horseshoe on it because they see the Patriots as their, you know, main rival, right? And so they're going to want to bear that identity. They're going to want, in some essence, to set themselves apart and to be like, I love the Colts. I despise the Patriots. A little you know? bit of football evangelism. That's man. right. And so why, how is it that we don't have this similar passion for Christ in our life? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. These, these, uh, topics that Jesus is addressing here at this juncture in his ministry, you can tell he's, he's notching it up. He's saying, all right, it, we've talked about some easier topics. Now I'm, I'm preparing you for real ministry in the real world and being passive or having a, your heart focused on the wrong thing isn't going to get it done. So we're going to take, uh, take a look next time at Jesus' teachings on authentic faith and what that looks like as we delve deeper into his teaching, his ministry, and closer to his, his arrest and, and crucifixion and resurrection. Folks, if you'd like to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link. That'll take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus, which we have now completed half of. So stay with us for the next half. God bless you. We'll see you next time.